stories of ambition, drive, success, and the personalities behind them. I'm Whitney Coonan. And I'm Macy McLean. And you're listening to Power in Heels. Today's guest is such an inspiration. She is a Canadian Olympic hurdler who specializes in the 400 meters. She competed at the 2012 Olympic Games and won a silver medal in the 2015 Pan American Games right here in Toronto, Canada. And to add on top of that, she is also the founder of the Believe Initiative. We are so excited to have the inspiring Sarah Wells joining us today on the show. It's such a pleasure to have you. You have an amazing story and I want to get into all of that, but I I just want to start off and kind of go into, you know, the athletics and, and really understand where your passion came from when it comes to athletics. Um, So I think my passion for sport, largely like specifically track and field, mm-hmm. came out of the fact that I wasn't good at anything else. <laughs> it was like, I wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to be a track athlete. It was oh, I want to belong on a team. You know, when you're a part of a team, you have like kind of Insta friends, like, oh, this is my team. Like we have practice after school. Like we go on these like competition things together. Like you have an association that you're belonging to. And so I wanted that. And I tried out for basketball and volleyball and soccer and field hockey and badminton, like you name it, I tried out. And I ended up actually getting cut from like every single team at the school. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm just not athletic then. But I had a high school teacher see me in gym class. And he was like, oh my gosh, I just saw you run after that soccer ball. Like you got there. You didn't do anything with the ball, but you can accelerate. So I want to teach you how to hurdle. I'm the track coach. And I was like, dude, you don't want me on your team. Like I already got cut from every team at the school. And he was like, no, no, no. I think you could be good. And so that high school teacher happened to be a varsity coach at the University of Toronto And so he took me under his wing and showed me how to be a high performance athlete. And that high school teacher and I stayed coach and athlete for the next nine years until we made the Olympics together. So it's pretty wild, unheard of that you have your high school teacher stay as your Olympic coach. (laughs) But um, once I got into the sport and had some kind of success, I was like, oh, cool. Like, what else could I do? There was some passion behind the pursuit of excellence, but it wasn't like I set out to be an Olympian. I, I never never had aspirations to be an Olympic athlete (laughs) until I was in sport, of course. (laughs) Fair enough. Do you think if you never met that teacher that none of this would have happened? Oh, uh, there's no, I mean, maybe there's not no way, but like I I often say like he believed in me before I ever believed in myself. And I'm so grateful for that um, because he just never lost faith in me. Like I'd have seasons where I didn't run well, like in that nine year journey, of course, it's a roller coaster ride. I wasn't like constantly improving every month, every year. So like there are times I was really great and was winning a bunch of races. And then times I was getting crushed by people that I like beat several times the year before. So he just never lost faith in me. Like he always reminded me like talent doesn't go away and you know, you have what it takes. And like, yes, that race sucked. Like, no, that was not your best performance. Like, yep, you have been injured a lot this year. And so you haven't had the amount of training required to be one of the best in the world. But that doesn't mean that's not possible for you. But I still had moments of doubt, but I started to also create the story in my head, thanks to his encouragement, that like, maybe I could make the Olympics one day. If he wasn't my coach, I don't know if I would have made the Olympics. (laughs) I love that. I mean, I feel like we all need someone like that in our lives. Mm -hmm. And your story reminds me, I know um, another Canadian athlete, Damian Warner, he does decathlon. 
his coaching team consists of people that were his teachers in high school, people that yeah. kicked him out of the group in high school. So I don't know if this is a theme, but uh his coach is really good friends with with my coach Dave. So Gar is really good friends with Dave, <laughs> who is my coach. And that's so so funny. That's awesome. <laughs> Was there like a specific moment when you were like, I have this hobby, but you want to kind of take it and make it something more and actually shoot for the Olympics? I don't know if there's like, there wasn't like a moment, but certainly like as we got a little better and a little better every year, there was a plan of like, okay, like let's try for the London Olympics. Like that will be where we think based off of your progression, if we improve this much each year, you could be ready by 2012. And what ended up happening was I stress fractured my femur the year before the London Olympics. So I sat out for what was supposed to be three months and ended up actually taking nine months to heal. And so like nine months of sitting around, not being able to train, I basically was like, oh, like, I don't know how I'm ever going to make this happen. Like the day I got the news of the stress fracture, it was like falling off the edge of a cliff. Like, you know, you'd been climbing the top of this mountain. Like you just want this thing. And then you just like, crumble to the floor and it was devastating um but again I had some really amazing support in my life to keep me moving forward in that nine month journey and I really had some tactics around how I would bring motivation and inspiration back into my life and that included included music that included mantras and like little reminders to myself it included keeping a journal log of different kind of moments where I had been making progress, even if it wasn't on the track running, you know, there were other things I was moving towards the goal. And so that kept me with a bit of momentum through those nine months. And then by the time I was cleared to run, I had six months left to qualify. (laughs) I hadn't even hit Olympic standard before I got hurt. So now I had to get back to who I was before the injury and still improve a whole second in order to qualify. And in the sport of track and field, a whole second is a big deal. Yeah. And when I got back that coach and, you know, many of my teammates, like we all just kind of took it day by day. (laughs) Like it was like, okay, what can we do today? That makes us a little bit better. And what can we do tomorrow makes us a little bit better. Another coach of mine, uh, his name's Bob. He had this saying that he told me of don't let better get in the way of best. And what he means by that is when we have a goal of making the Olympics or a finish line, we have a title, we have a job, we have a salary, we have a thing that we're aiming towards. And let's say we put our name in the ring to like get that promotion, or in my case, do a workout to hit a certain milestone that tells me I'm absolutely on the path to success of achieving Olympic standard. And then we do the workout or you put, get, you put your name in for that promotion and you don't get it, or I don't hit the time and I don't get to where I want it to be. Well, then I think, oh, this is so stupid. Why am I even trying this? Or I want to walk away. I want to throw it away. And that's when we are only looking at best. What's the best finish line? What's the best result? What's the end result? Rather than then saying, okay, well, my workout in this time wasn't what I wanted it to be, but a month ago, I was nowhere near this time. Better is still great. And better is not something worth like dropping and letting go and turning around and walking away and giving up because you didn't get best. And so when we look at getting better and focusing on that, it actually helps create some momentum and encourage us to keep going. And six months later, (laughs) after a lot of that work, and I end up making the Olympic trials and then winning the Olympic trials and then going to the London Olympic Games and finishing as an Olympic semifinalist and one of the youngest competitors in the field. And so, you know, amongst that entire journey, the first day back to training six months before 
I actually got the word believe tattooed on my wrist and said, when I make the games, I'm going to put the rings underneath here. I love that. And so six months later, I got to put the rings underneath that believe exactly where I said I would. That's incredible. And and six months, like, that's not a lot of time. People train for four to eight years to even yeah. get that little step or one second better. It almost feels impossible. And clearly it's not because you did it. But it, you know, <laughs> looking at it, did you ever have that feeling or did you ever kind of worry like, is this really possible? Oh, absolutely. Like countless times throughout that nine months. Um, mm-hmm. Like we can be really good at creating a story in our head sometimes when we have a bad day, a bad week, a bad month. But we can also kind of spiral like all the way down. And so for me in those nine months, hundred percent, there were days where I was like, I'll never make it. I have no evidence to show that I'm even improving. I'm not even running right now. Like all I'm doing is I'm allowed to do some like water running, like a drowning rat in a pool. Like it's so embarrassing. Why am I even trying? Like, this is stupid. In those moments, it, it can be very hard to pull yourself back up. But I mentioned earlier about that journal log that I would keep where I would kind of put in times where like, okay, today my trainer and I, we worked on core strength and I officially can do 15 pull-ups weighted when at the beginning of my injury, I couldn't even do two. (laughs) And so you can show yourself that you're building strength, but you have some more grit and you are building what it's going to take to get over hurdle nine and hurdle 10. And so even though I wasn't on the track racing, When I could look back at that book on a day, I've convinced myself I'm not moving forward. Everything is terrible and I'm spiraling down. I could go look at the journal and say, okay, well, actually I am moving forward and there are new skills I'm going to be able to bring to this pursuit when I am cleared to run. After making the Olympics, my parents were very proud and they were telling their friends about, you know, my daughter, oh my God, she was injured. And then she got the word believe tattooed on her wrist. And then she actually made it. She believed in herself and it worked. And then my parents' friends were like, come tell my kid that. And so (laughs) my parents' friends started inviting me to their kids' schools. And so I went into a couple of schools and I was like, hey, so like I believed in myself and then I made the Olympics. Like you should try that. Yeah. And so it was like very juvenile in the sense that like I had a (laughs) keynote presentation. I barely had slides. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I was just telling what I did. And you know, after sharing that story, that principal recommended me to another school and then recommended to another school, another school. And so then suddenly I started realizing like, oh, people do this. Like people actually speak as a job. And I then started saying, okay, well, what else can I build around this? How do I make sure I'm being impactful enough? And so I built out like more of a formal keynote presentation. And then I created worksheets and then I created curriculum for the classrooms. And then um, as I was doing that, well now, you know, years are passing by and now I'm becoming one of the best in the world. And I just come off winning a Pan Am silver medal. So now some companies are knocking on my door and now they're saying, Hey, can you come talk at our thing? And I've gotten a number of reps by that point of speaking at schools that, you know, I had a, I had a keynote presentation, like something that was like meaningful and impactful. At least my mom said so. And like, (laughs) it was, something that I knew, okay, like I can make an impression, but it required a bit of a different lens and the examples had to be a little stronger. And when I thought about, okay, well, if I want to make a big impact, I've noticed I can't just do the keynote and walk away. Like, be like okay, good luck. Go put those tactics into action. Like it, a lot of people might the next day, but probably not the next month or the next month after that. 
And so that's why I created curriculum for the students. So then when I was thinking about how to be more impactful in the organizations, I said, okay, well, I have some curriculum development experience now. So how do I build programs around my keynote for, for corporate audiences and provide them a secondary offering of like, okay, you love the keynote, employees are inspired. Well, let's work with your new hires and run them through this leadership development programming. Or let's work with your high performers and teach them how to be more inspirational for their teams. And so I started to create these programs all because of like the evolution of where I was being invited to speak. Refining that and getting better is so exciting for me. And I feel like it's largely because it's almost like a 400 hurdle race where 400 hurdles is the exact same, <laughs> exact same length with the hurdles in the exact same spot every single time. But all I'm doing is working at ways to be just 0.1% better at every hurdle and be a little bit faster every time. And keynote speaking and building these programs, it's like, how do I get to the result of making someone more inspirational or making them a better leader? And how do I do the same thing better <laughs> every time? And so it's like, I I didn't think I'd find anything that I love as much as I love the sport of track and field. And I love what I get to do now. <laughs> That's awesome. And I mean, it just goes to show our parents will always be our biggest fans. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Stick around. Next up on Power and Heels. I always joke that it's like probably not what you expected your motivational speaker to say, like, give up, walk away, <laughs> just don't, don't drive. But what I needed to really do is put space between me and that moment. Programming for students versus programming for various organizations or corporate cultures is there any big difference in the way that you teach or the lessons or do you find regardless of age it kind of just it's all it all works no it's definitely important to tailor their messaging because the obstacles and the mindset and the things that students are facing mm -hmm. are very different than someone who's leading a team for the first time and though my messaging is around like you need to foster self-belief you need to realize how powerful you really are because everyone needs to hear and know that but with the students, it's about, well, how do we not be afraid to take risks and take action? And let's go get you to do a passion project to go take some of those actions and realize what you're truly capable of. On the corporate side, we really focus on building inspirational leaders because some of these leaders are excellent at what they do. They feel so good about their job and they're, they're doing amazing work, but they're finding it hard to like lead a team. And it can be challenging when you're kind of like all focused about like work related items at all times. And especially in the hybrid and virtual world now, there's not a lot of like casual conversations. Like we booked a meeting to talk about X. So let's talk about X. <laughs> what I'm helping leaders do is understand their distinguished strengths, then help them map out how to put that into their actions of their daily lives in the work environment. And we actually help them develop what's called their mini keynote. And they actually create a bite-sized story that can be worked into different like elements of their work lives that showcase their inspirational value that then helps me, your employee, understand why you are the way you are, why you care about this thing. Hopefully, you know, the way that we try to set them up inspires that employee of yours to want to show up for you a little better, want to like push a little harder. And so these stories and the way that the programming maps out is really about helping them uncover those distinguished strengths, 
build those into daily practice, and then be able to leave with their inspirational story by the end of it. Our notes, I guess, from our pre-interview chat that we had, there was something that we wrote that was finding your meaning in the pursuit of your medal. I'm just kind of curious what that means to you personally. Mm, Yes. Okay. So it's really about finding significance in the obstacles that you face in pursuit of your version of a medal, whatever that is. And so for me, there was the time where I made the Olympics, but there's a whole other story that happens. I then try to go back for a second Olympic Games. I'm now top 10 in the world. I had just come off winning a Pan Am Games silver medal against the number one ranked girl in the world. And I decided like, okay, I'll win the medal. I'll, I'll then retire from sport, get all the endorsement deals. Life will be great. And then I end up tearing my hamstring right before. I end up trying to make a comeback. I run at Olympic trials, but in the end, I miss qualifying by less than half a second. And I went from, you know, being Sarah Wells, the Olympian for four years. Now, suddenly I'm now Sarah Wells, the Olympian who didn't make the Olympics. And it felt heartbreaking and kind of identity shattering. And so following the Olympics, that, that Rio Olympic trials, I quit sport. (laughs) And I always joke that it's like, probably not what you expected your motivational speaker to say, like, give up, walk away, (laughs) just don't, don't try. Um, but what I needed to really do is put space between me and that moment. And so I just needed time. And I realized that I actually believed in myself more strongly after not making the Olympics because I still stood on the start line of that Rio Olympic trials. And I didn't let my circumstances define my outcome. Even though I knew my hamstring wasn't 100%, I still said, okay, well, let's see what is possible. How close can I get? And that showed me a strength inside that you know I didn't know that I had we don't build self-belief through achievements. We build self-belief through action. And because I came to that understanding, I was like, oh my gosh, like I need to tell other people that you build self-belief through action. Like you don't always have to be the award winner, the top prize winner, the like finalist, best in the class, you know, number one ranked company. Like that's not the only way to build confidence and feel like you can do it. And so I ended up starting my organization, the Believe Initiative, where we now go across North America and talk to people about the importance of being resilient, the power of believing in yourself and getting them to build that self-belief by taking action, doing impact projects in their community and recognizing the skills they have. You know, tying this back to meaning in the pursuit of the medal is, yes, I was pursuing the second Olympic Games. Yes, I wanted the medal. But we have to remember, even though that hard work won't always lead to success, that being resilient, taking those lessons and applying it to the next opportunity will always lead to another opportunity for success. And so when you can find that meaning, it keeps you motivated to get back up and keep going. Um, And for me, it was in sport and now it's in building my business and I'm sure it'll evolve again, you know? (laughs) Of course. And I mean, it's such a good attitude to have, but but it's it's something that doesn't always come naturally, I don't think. Mm -hmm. How long was it for you before you kind of started to change your mindset? It was about eight months, I would say. I missed qualifying in the summer, in June. And then I kind of launched Believe Nation and really was head first, two feet in around February. You're absolutely right that it takes time. And I'm definitely not saying for people to be like, just just get back up and like keep going because like, <laughs> I get it. It does take time to process and it does take time to like mourn the loss of an identity or a goal or a thing you were pursuing. <laughs> and like, likewise, not only even on the missing an opportunity, 
But sometimes we're so locked in on the thing and then it's over. <laughs> and then what? Like you're also having to redefine yourself in that moment, even when you've achieved something. I remember finishing when I made the Olympics in the London Olympic trials, you know, I had been locked in on this goal and I wanted it so badly. And then it came to life. Like I, I was going to be an Olympic athlete, but you don't go to the Olympics that like the moment you win Olympic trials, you <laughs> weeks of prep before that. And so I finished Olympic trials and I had been so good and eating so clean and so like square for like so many months leading into the Olympic trials. I decided to like go out for pizza as like my big celebration. My (laughs) partner at the time, we were sitting at the table, like eating dinner, eating this pizza. And I was just like, so I guess this is it. (laughs) I guess this is what I was training for. Like, this is so weird. Finding meaning in those moments and journeys isn't just for when you miss the opportunity. It's also about finding meaning of like, why was that important to do? Why did it make sense to pursue and commit so much of myself to achieving this thing? Finding meaning in that too, because it can be just as jarring (laughs) when you get it. (laughs) Hey, it's Macy and Whitney. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Power and Heels. Make sure to join the conversation and never miss a new episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. And aside from being an athlete and a founder, you were recently a contestant on The Amazing Race Canada, which is super cool. Um, what was that experience like? Wild, insane, a human <laughs> science experiment. I believe it. Um, yeah, it is. You don't eat, sleep, pee, drink water, like talk to your family for weeks on weeks. Like, Ooh. oh my goodness. You, because you're filming and they can't have anyone knowing what's going on, like you fall off the face of the earth. Like, you can't talk to the outside world. So you don't talk to your partner or your family or anyone like you are just like locked into the experience. And that's great because, you know, you get to really focus on the goal, but it's also a little bit of a human science experiment. And so it was wild. And it's probably the only reality TV show I would ever sign up for. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Big Brother or any of those just seem like a little bit less on brand for me. Um, but, uh, the amazing race was like, okay, well this is cool. And like, maybe, you know, it'll create some cool stories to talk about in keynote speeches. And so like, let me go and, and see what this is about. My training partner friend and I, his name's Sam Effa. We did it together. And the like challenges you do for those people that don't know what the amazing race Canada is, it's like an epic scavenger hunt all over the world, uh, or in our season in Canada. And, you do challenges, all kinds of things. And you start with 10 teams and you whittle your way down. There's checkpoints. At every checkpoint, one team is eliminated if they're the last to arrive. And Sam and I, we jumped off of bridges and canyons and went a kilometer underground in salt mines and had to dive under the deepest Arctic lake. And it was just, yeah, wild. That sounds crazy. What sparked you to apply and and how did you apply? Like, because I, I feel like there must be an audition process. Tell me about all yeah. that because I'm so curious. I love the show, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> so you submit a video of like you and your whoever you're going to go on the show with, like your partner. And you say like, well, your story and why you want to be on the show. And so we talked about how like we're Olympic athletes and like, you know, we value like the pursuit of excellence and being resilient. And so we believe this would be like a good test of our grit. And <laughs> um, we would be excited to be on the show. 
And then we got the call back and we did the in-person interview. And then we did a phone interview thingy. And then we got news that we were on. You fill out like a zillion forms and sign your life away. (laughs) And then when you go, you don't even know where you're headed. You know, like you just like have a backpack and you're like, I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I'm about to go to the show. And like, do we leave today? Do we have like a day where we're like getting briefed? Like what happens? And so you you get a quick briefing and then you're on your way. Like you get into the challenges and it's pretty wild. Honestly, we were like, oh. We have stood on, you know, start lines with 80,000 people. Like, we know stress. Like, we're going to be fine. Until you realize that, like, you know pressure as a well, like, trained and eaten and, like, you've slept a ton and you're, like, so refined and ready to go for this one moment. And then you're done. Like, that's what I've trained for. Not the, like, oh, okay, for weeks and weeks, we're going to wake you up at 2 a.m. and get you to sprint to an airport only to sit around and wait because you didn't make the first flight. You're not on until the second flight now. And now you're just awake the whole time. And then when you, as soon as you touch down, you got to do a zillion challenges. You got to do all this crazy stuff. You're stressed, you're hyper, you're like, you haven't eaten. So you're like, like have no blood sugar. And like, and then you hit the mat, you don't get eliminated. Great. Do it all again the next day with no sleep again. Like, and so it's, I thought we could handle it, but I'm so well, like trained for the one thing I do. You can't train for this. Like, it's crazy. Were there any major lessons or takeaways from that entire experience? Yeah, there's one that I've um, put into my keynote that I feel, you know, really strongly about both hated the experience in the moment and love that it happened. And that has to do with the diving under the Arctic lake that I mentioned earlier. I'm a land animal. I do track and field. I stay on land. I have oxygen at all times. Love that. I hated swimming lessons when I was a kid. I failed guppy, you know, like all you have to do is basically put your nose in the water. And I was like, I can't do it. So failed guppy and never went back to the swimming pool. And so when I rip open the clue and it says that I have to do the next challenge, I was like, oh my God, I have to go under the ice. I I can't even swim. Like, what do you mean I have to go under the ice? (laughs) And so they had carved out like a human sized hole that I had to like slither into. Oh God. And the air and the water were so cold that the ice was a meter thick. Before I even get in, as I'm bawling my eyes out on national television. (laughs) As you do. As as one does. um, The technician is like, Sarah, the water's really cold. And when cold water touches your face, it can cause a heart attack. So we need you to dunk your face in the water, like kneel on the ice and dunk down three times so that you don't have your body go into shock. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? And so I had to like, I'm bawling like, (laughs) and then like dunking my face, like, (laughs) 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 like it was just the most embarrassing. Now I slither in the water. I start like having like a panic attack. I'm like, (laughs) like, I'm so scared to get into this water. And because I'm hyperventilating, the technician is like, Sarah, I need you to calm your breath. If you keep hyperventilating and then hold your breath, you'll pass out. <laughs> so like, oh you've got to, you've got to calm your breath. I can't let you go until you calm your breath. And you're in a race, so like people are coming, and if you don't go, then the next amazing race team is going to come, and then you're going to get behind. And and Sam, my partner, he's waiting on the other side. Like it's up to me to not let us down. So I'm like, oh my god, this is so brutal. Eventually, I've been in there so long that the technicians like your core temperature is dropping. Like you either need to go now or we're going to have to pull you out. And so I'm like, okay, okay. And I like take like just one calm breath. like, (sighs) And then I go under the water and they had a rope 
to help us like pull us down because you're kind of buoyant in the wetsuit. And so I'm pulling myself down and I was wearing goggles. So I definitely could have kept my eyes open to see when I got under the ice, but I'm petrified and nervous and forgot that I was even wearing goggles. So I'm just like eyes closed the whole time. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. Like, what am I going to do? And I consider going back to the top, but for whatever reason, I didn't thank God. Cause I don't think I would have got back in. But <laughs> eventually my like nose, I realized gets like under the lip of the ice. So now like the three feet of ice is above my nose. And I'm just like, literally like planking backwards um, and just like rubbing my nose, like along the edge of the ice, just like looking for the clue because I have to find the clue in order to be able to finish this challenge. The clue is under the ice. Oh, the clue is under the ice. So then I like go, I see the clue. It's like over to like the right-hand side. I end up like swimming over scurrying and I'm like doggy paddling again, can't swim, but the ice is all above me. Like I literally couldn't get air if I tried. So I'm like panicking, panicking, find the clue. Then I need to find the tiny human size hole that they've carved out again. And I like doggy paddle over there. I see like a speck of ray of light. So I'm like, that's for sure it. And then I go pop my head up like a baby seal, slap that clue on the ice, push myself up. I like kneel up onto one side, then I get my other knee up. I see a producer right across from me. And I like march right up to him when I'm not supposed to do this because we're filming. And I just look at him dead in the face. And I was like, I hated everything about that. you planned this, you jerk. Like, I know this is your fault. And so um, I was so pissed and my hair like instantly frozen to icicles. My eyelashes were like absolute rocks. Like it was insane how cold it was. And when I came home from the race, people were always asking me like, what's your most favorite challenge and what's your least favorite challenge? And I say for both scenarios, it's the ice challenge. It was my least favorite challenge for obvious reasons. It was my most favorite challenge because if you would have told me before I started that race that like, you're going to go under the ice and you're going to find the clue and it's going to be on your shoulders and you're going to make it happen. I would have said, hell no, it's not like, (laughs) there's no way, like I will die. So going through that experience just showed me like how much we can accomplish the things that we have absolutely convinced ourselves are impossible that we would never be able to that fear would take over that there's no way it's like the same way that like moms can lift cars off their children you know like when the time comes to it you can and if you can realize that like for even much less life-threatening things like I've just described when we can adopt that mindset like we realize what's really possible and so going through that experience taught me more in 10 minutes than I could have learned in 10 months 10 years And so it was my most favorite challenge for the fact of like, I grew as an individual in that moment. And so that's like pretty special to have experienced, um, (laughs) though do not recommend and not encouraging, but um, was, was pretty surreal for me. Definitely. I can not even imagine like just listening to that story. I'm like sweating. (laughs) I cannot. Yeah, it was wild. Obviously, you've done a lot of really cool things, accomplished some great things already. Um, so my question is, like, what's next? Is there any other big future goals or aspirations that you have? Yeah. So, I mean, right now, my, my biggest goal is to actually grow my business. The youth side, we have our Believe Leadership chapters. And so after we do events on from a youth side, students launch a Believe chapter at their school. And our goal is to be in a thousand schools in three years, which is feels like an impossible, and I'm using air quotes for those that can't see me, um, (laughs) 
feels impossible because we're we're just in over like a hundred schools right now. So like to grow to a thousand in three years feels daunting. But I'm like, you know what? So was making the Olympics in six months. So let's put it out there in the universe. Thousand schools in three years. So that's our goal from the youth side. And then my goal from the corporate side is I actually want to try to work with 50 different companies running the leadership development programming over the next three years. Um, yeah, like a, bit, a lot of growth in the kind of two businesses that are currently on my plate is kind of what's next for me. That's awesome. And I, I love what you and your organization do. It's great. Uh, I just, I, I would love to talk to you forever, but unfortunately we do have to bring the interview to a close. But before we go, we always love to do this with our guests. We love to kind of take the time and just pass the microphone over to you and give you a chance to say any last words. That sounds bad, but any last words or any pieces of advice that you'd like to share with our listeners, the time is yours. Oh man. You know, I've said a little bit of it already of like the, the power of believing in yourself. Like we hear it all the time and we think it's fluffy. We think it's for people who have their head in the clouds. We think it's for our young. It's not for us. We understand reality. So like, yeah, no, believing in ourselves. Like it's it's something, but it's not much. And think about all the successful stories you have of people that just had this like unwavering belief in themselves. Like, you know, the famous one of like Jim Carrey saying he wrote himself a check for $3 million before he ever got a $3 million check. And him just being like, no, this will happen. This will come to life. Like it's not fluffy. It is fundamental to your success and reminding ourselves of that I think can be the springboard to getting you to whatever that is for you and so for me it was getting the word believe tattooed on my wrist for Jim Carrey it was writing a check to himself like what do you need to do in order to remind yourself to relentlessly believe it's possible for you so that would probably be my my final piece of advice um and maybe you know a quick call out of like where you can reach out um, you can go to www.sarahwells.ca. If you go to .com, you'll get a consumer product goods company that is not me. <laughs> so sarahwells.ca. And uh, of course, on Instagram, you can always DM me there. I'm sarahwells400mh, which is like 400 meter hurdles. Really regret the social media handle. It's very long, but uh, <laughs> to reach out if there's other questions or stories that you need to hear after listening to today's conversation. Um, or if there's an event or speaking opportunity you think I would be a good fit for. It's always uh, my favorite. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure to have you on. And I learned so much from you. And I know our listeners have as well. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much, girls.